Hi, I'm Fiona Connolly, Editor-in-Chief of Women's Day and host of the second Financially Fit Females podcast. I'm joined by finance commentator Effie Zahos and Sean Lewis from the Commonwealth Bank to talk about financial abuse, or as Sean has just told us, a better way of saying it is potentially healthy financial relationships. What do you, what do you say that? Is that, is that an important yeah. way that we, that we describe financial abuse? Well, I think it is because financial abuse is, is one of those quite insidious things. It's, you know, when we join relationships, we often open joint accounts, we want to manage our finances together. There's nothing wrong with actually managing things together, doing things together. The, the pieces to watch out for really is when that is when that turns into something that's less than healthy. Effie, you would have had a lot of experience around trust and, and the people that you've dealt with over time uh, where that trust has been eroded. It's interesting. Let's define, I mean, what is financial abuse? What are we saying is financial abuse? And for a lot of people, you don't realise you're in a financially abusive situation uh, until it's probably way too late. Mm. And often financial abuse is just one problem in that relationship. It often unearths a whole lot of issues out there. Financial abuse is, is basically is very important to define. It's where you don't feel in control control or able to exercise authority over your financial health and well-being and that can be a son or a daughter it can be another close relative it can be your partner some of the red flags and this came out at the good ship microfinance that i was at my boyfriend gets angry if he doesn't have money to go out with his mates so i pay all the rent and bills yeah do you see that as financial abuse uh, I think it depends on how consistent and controlling yeah. that relationship, yeah. it, it, that yeah. behaviour is. So, hmm. you know, certainly one of the signals would be refusing to contribute financially to joint goals, which sounds a little hmm. bit like that example. Now, if it's the occasional, I'd really like a night off, I'm going to go out, etc. Hmm. you know, but if it's every week not contributing, you're left paying the bills, paying the rent, you're staying in and your partner's Mm. going out, Mm. then I would say that that was a red flag to say that you're beginning to lose control of your finances and you should think about how to get balance back. Yeah, certainly. Sometimes it's the unsaid in my uh, experience personally. It um, it wasn't what I wasn't allowed to do in this particular financially abusive relationship. It was, it was more that you know, oh, you need to do this. You deserve this. You should. And so it was that sort of eking out of the finances. You know, where I was um, starting to get a little bit questioning and a little bit, a little bit more demanding in terms of having exposure to our finances. Mm-hmm. And at that time, the um, the money was was you know quite readily dished out. It'll be you know have a, have a bath. I'll pour you a nice glass. I've bought you a beautiful bottle of mm-hmm. wine. Or and so then my my distraction. You know, there was, was a great sort of deal of distraction around that. So, yeah, often I think it's not it's not the um, that sense of abuse as we know it traditionally, and sure. that it's in that it's very overt. I think it can be yeah a lot more sinister than that, and very depending on I suppose how calculated or how underhanded that partner is. How long did that go until you realise that I'm not in a healthy relationship? Close to ten years, and everything I'd worked towards, and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars, like mm. everything I had ever earned. There was this huge amount of abuse um, at mm. hand in my own home, and and I was aware of it. There was a there was a very strong awareness. But you know, every time I brought that up, it would be some way of changing the subject. Mm. Um, you know, I got to, I went to the extent of putting calendar invi- uh, invitations into my then partner's mm. diary so that we could say, "This is when we're sitting down. This is w- this is when I'd like mm. access to. I need my new access to my new account. This yeah. account, or I need to know where." about where we are oh no you don't need to know that is you know we've got mm. x amount of dollars here x amount of 
dollars there and um, and distraction here, distraction yeah. there. And ten years later, there was a GPO box, so I didn't see the mail coming into the house. Which is a sign, isn't it? That's mm. a red flag that no, you know, mail stops coming to the yeah. home or, or there's change in your banking or, or passwords and so on. Or going to the ATM and, and not having it be either zero or, you know, $10,000, thinking, oh, okay, well, we're okay again. Yeah. <laughs> I had repeated denied access to my bank accounts, even just asking for my account number. Mm. But, of course, there were, in retrospect, loads of warning signs. Unpaid mm. bills and I mentioned before going to the ATM and radically different bank balances when, you know, when I finally did mm. have that access. So, I mean, you guys would, ha- would have experienced other warning signs. Is there anything else sure. we could alert our listeners to? You've talked about controlling access to funds. So I think if there's any cash, bank accounts, benefits, pensions, if they should be coming to you, if you're not seeing them, if somebody else is controlling them, that's, that's a potential red flag. Refusing to give you sufficient funds. Now that clearly wasn't the case in your example. They were trying to give you sufficient funds to keep control. But very often what happens is once people have got controls, they start to reduce the amount of money that other the other person has access to. Not seeing bills, which again can seem like a lovely relief when someone says, don't worry, darling, let me deal with the bills. But actually not knowing how much is going out on bills leaves you a bit at sea about, well, how much money do I need to survive? And again, if it's a bit of a red flag that you're losing control of, uh, of your finances. Keeping financial secrets. Oh, don't worry about that bank account. Don't worry about that saving. Don't worry about that investment. I've got it all sorted. As another bit of a, a red flag. Refusing to contribute financially to you or the family. No, no, you must look after the household expenses, uh, not taking joint accountability. And also more insidious, maybe stopping you from working or studying hmm. or forbidding you. Or unfortunately, he's seen examples who, through customers where, you know, somebody's taken the car away so that it's impossible for someone to meet the demands of their job. So they lose a job that they've gone out to get and get back into that position Mm -hmm. of being under control. And then finally, of course, the it will have gone quite a long way, but a red flag of, hang on, I thought I had this amount in my account. The only other person with Mm -hmm. my password is... So I'd advise people never to share passwords. Again, you have to keep your finances safe. But if you then find that money is missing from purses, handbags, bank accounts, then if they're stealing from you, that's the biggest red flag of all. Mm. But there's lots of little things along that path before you get there. And in my experience, it's those little things that all add up to that anxiety. So, and the angst and not knowing exactly what it is, but knowing mm. that something's wrong. How is it possible that the house is leaking when we've had the insurance payment? How yeah. is it possible that my car is unregistered? I swear to God, we mm. said it was registered. Yeah. How is it possible that, you know, that everything is just not as it should be? Mm. And and that just added up to a general anxiety. It didn't ever, it was, it's never necessarily a red flag. It's financial. It all comes back to money. It's that lack of transparency. Yeah. But um, I feel like there would be a lot of women out there would be having the, the little red flags, but yeah. the bigger picture isn't really adding up to them. And it's a case that we talk about loose control, also when you give control. Mm-hmm. And by that I mean it's okay for, to give control of someone to your banking. No, no problem with that. But when you're giving complete control of your financial affairs and they're in the hands of somebody else, you're treading dangerous waters there. And when it comes to a case where you are being manipulated... So you may not have lost control or you may have given control. That's all okay. But if you're manipulated into making decisions, the rule of thumb for for myself is 
whatever you're going to do, what is the financial benefit for you? And I know that sounds selfish, but it's the case of when you're in a relationship and let's say you are, you know, asked to sign a form and we really need this, otherwise we're not going to get, you know, this goal together or something like that. You've really got to dig deeper and think, am I signing away half the house or am I signing away this? What is the benefit for me and my family? If you see no benefit at all, you don't sign it. I think the other thing to think about as well as you set up your uh, finances is um, it's completely acceptable to have a, I would always called it my, if I get a horrible boss fund, having some savings behind you Mm. so that actually, even if you do feel that you're seeing some of the red flags, you've actually kept some security for yourself. If you're in a great relationship, that can be that I'm going to leave work and look for another one and I've got two or three or four months salary that I can go and do. And I, I know that that can sound aspirational, but again, the more you get into your finances and think about how can I just put a little bit of money aside every month, even if it's not a lot. It just builds up your confidence that if the unexpected happened, and that could be a boiler blowing up as much as something Mm -hmm. as dramatic as you having to leave a relationship, you've at least got a cushion. And so if you keep in control of some of that money, that's really helpful as you kind of navigate how you partners uh, are going to sort through the, the finances. And if you don't get money, you might be sitting here listening now and thinking, well, that's fine, but I don't work and controls all the money. Even side hustles in this day with the sharing economy, it is a case of a little bit goes a long way. Put some money aside and feel a little bit of independence and stay close to your finances. And believe me, that independence is actually blissful when when you truly have it. And for me, it was going to buy myself a, a divorce present and, and it wasn't a Gucci anything. Yeah. It was a um, just a travel mug <laughs> and it was my yeah. cup of tea every morning and I look at that now every day and I really feel a sense of pride. You yeah. know? It was maybe a $30 mug, mm. but it's my it was my special treat and I could afford it because it was a little bit of leftover that it's particular a nice reminder. week. It's a great reminder and it really emphasises the point that we don't need to be talking about large sums of money mm. for you to know what's going on and feel in control of your finances and, and able to make great decisions for you and your family. Here, here. <laughs> well, we talked earlier about the term financial abuse, but you had a lovely expression, Sean, which is healthy financial relationships. Tell us the, yeah. the key elements of a healthy relationship. Sure. Everyone will organise it differently. So I think the, the first thing to say is there's no cookie cutter here, but I think the signs of a really healthy financial relationship are that financial decisions and responsibilities are shared. You talk about needing the new car or, you know, whether you're going to redo the house or whatever it is. Both partners are transparent and share information. So good news, I've just got a pay rise or bad news, the big end on the car's gone, we're going to need to spend money. You're both aware of what's going on. And then both partners have an equal voice in that financial decision making. What kind of future do we want together? How do we want to save to support our children? And both of you are equal partners in making that choice. Starting early. Nobody wants to have the early financial conversation, but in the same way as you're probably going to have to have conversations about where do we want to live? Do we both want to work? Do we want to have a family? It's important to talk about how do I manage my finances? Am I a saver? Am I a splurger? Do I like to take risk? How do you see what are our long, you know, do we want to buy a house? Do we want to travel? And just as long as you think about the financial implications of all of those decisions and conversations you're having early in the relationships when you envisage 
nothing will, will go wrong, then you've started establishing a platform for finances just being part of general conversation. So you've got to understand that, you know, I guess sometimes your partner is going to be different to you. Yeah. You could be a spender, they could be a mm, saver. That's right. Two savers together, what a beautiful relationship. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're going to have a difference in money personalities. So it's a case of you'll get to know that. You'll get to know the money personality of your partner and it's important you address that. And sometimes I talk about, and I think a lot of kind of commentators talk about going on fiscal date nights. And it's important to have those conversations. So you kind of structured that in there. And it doesn't have to be very direct. I mean, saying to your partner, we're never going to retire. We don't have, you know, $545,000 in the soup. It's not going to happen. It can be a way of going around these questions. And, and for me, it was like, honey, if you won lotto, what would you do with it? And he said he'll give it all to his parents. Bless his parents. <laughs> I love his parents. But that's an insight into his money behaviour. And that causes a conversation. Mm. You can have a laugh. You can mm. have a cry. You can have an argument. And that's okay. But as long as you start talking about money, you're getting a bit closer to your goals. Well, now I've got the two experts in the room, I might as well just go for gold and see what my next step is here in my new relationship. So, <laughs> because I, we're having early conversations at the moment. And obviously the natural next step, so besides the communication piece that we've spoken about, is something a little bit more official, so a financial agreement. And so that's a conversation point with me at the moment and my partner. But is that something that you would um, suggest is beneficial in all relationships at at the early stages for everybody? Or is it certainly when you're married? Is it when you're moving in with somebody? Depends who's got the assets, I guess. Yeah, (laughs) I was going to say exactly the same thing. I mean, I think you mentioned earlier about many of us now uh, joining in second and third relationships. We might have children and we need to think about what we want our children to inherit. We might have assets that we're bringing to a relationship. I think in those situations, it's really important to sit down and say, Mm. "Okay, I'm living in a house at the moment. You're going to move in. Does this house always stay mine? Is it partly yours when you've paid a certain amount towards its upkeep or mortgage? If you have children, are the children going to inherit that house or your partner? You know, unfortunately, in in the bank, you know, we have lots of people coming in who have got themselves into a position where they might be about to be evicted because nobody thought to write a will. Mm. And so the second partner now finds the house being divided between the children and nobody's written anything down about the environment that they wanted to happen afterwards. And, you know, after taxes, then death is the other thing you don't want to talk about. But uh, writing a will, thinking about the assets you bring into a relationship and what you want to do with them. I think a financial agreement is, is great, but a financial agreement can be anything you write down between you that you're willing to stick to. It needn't be a, a legal document, but absolutely it will give people security, particularly around inheritance, if you uh, sort out thinking about what you want to do in that case. Curious, when did you raise that in the relationship? Well, day one, the date, first, the first, first date. date. First date. <laughs> in the same way that when I, first, when I first introduced him to my family, it was all like, right, so when's, you know, what's your financial situation? Because, of course, I'd been burnt. I mean, yeah. it wasn't just um, me going through that hugely emotionally mm. um, tumultuous time. It was my entire family and they could see what I went through. So there was a lot of questions in, in that first family dinner um, for my new partner. But it was such a, an enormous part of my life that it really defined me. And, of course, it was going to be a very early conversation mm. with my with my new partner. Because a lot of people's fear is when do you raise this in a conversation, mm. the practical side of what we're talking about. Mm. You are living proof that you can talk about this early on in your relationship and still have that relationship, you know what I mean? So that's, um, that's, right. that's nice to hear. 
one thing that I was absolutely determined in this next relationship was that I felt in control. And you mentioned the control mm. piece before, but not only in control, but that I really believed in my own competency around money. That was very important because a big part of that control was being told that I was incompetent. Mm. And um, over time, I, I, I learned to believe that I was. And and actually, you'll love this as a Commonwealth Bank spokesperson. It was actually when I walked into the Commonwealth Bank, I went with my brother-in-law, who was fabulous with me, a banker, and was fabulous, you know, in that real time of mm. need for me. And, and I walked into the bank manager and said, well, this is a very small amount of money I've got. Mm. And honestly, I could almost be brought to tears now because, you know, she literally wrapped her arms around me mm. and I'll never forget being made to feel that I can do this. Yeah. And and she showed me the simplest of measures, you mm. know. In fact, the app, which is my best friend still today, um, it's very, very easy. This is the money that's coming in. This is what's going out. This is how much you've spent. In fact, my kids were down at Char Grill Charlie's the other day <laughs> and bought themselves some hot chips and I was like, well, that's where that, you know, that's what, that's what <laughs> pops up in my phone in the middle of a meeting. That's right. Well, that's where that, you know, that regular $7.99 is going. <laughs> but, you know, just really easy. And it gave me that sense of competency and that power back again. And, yeah, so it was very important to me. And, and I'm sure that is to a lot of women. Absolutely. And that's, that's why we've, we've spent quite a lot of time thinking about how do we educate our own staff so that if they're presented with either what looks like might be might be financial abuse or in your case you go in and you say I think I have been financially abused and now what do I do that they understand how to respond and that, and that, you know the first thing to respond is with empathy it can happen to any of us and there are some very simple things you can do at the core of it managing your finances is a bit like managing your weight you have to put less calories in than you expend only it's the other way around for money you have to put more money in than you spend and as long as you can see that really clearly and have a handle on it that's the beginning of thinking about your finances once you get to having a surplus once you've worked out that balance of what's coming in and what's going out then it might get slightly more complicated in terms of do I want to spend it now do I want to invest it for the future but there are many experts that help you with that it's just managing your own personal cash flow and being aware when do I get paid when do the bills go out mm. am I going to have enough money to cover it and I think all bank apps certainly the ComBank app has alerts to tell you what you're spending it's very clear to see what's going in and out of, of accounts and that just helps you on average, we have our customers looking at their combat app about six or seven times a day. Yeah, right. So that actually shows you how connected you can be to your finance in a very easy way in the same way as you check any other app. Oh, I can just see my, you know, kids have spent money. Mm. Or, oh, the Telstra bill's come in and I have forgotten to set it up to pay it, so I'm going to do that this evening. It's a very much more instant way of controlling your finances than in the days when you actually had to walk into a branch. But we're very glad that we've got the branch network there when you really need help. Mm. Well, I love that analogy about um, it being like weight loss, Effie. <laughs> I do. I think like, well, I suppose it's a relationship. It's, like, it's very psychological. Mm. And, you know, the, the financial abuse can really impact you in psychological ways, like the anxiety and depression mm. that, that can come along with financial abuse mm-hmm. and the relief when you're on top of that. That's right. There's been extensive research to show that people who are under financial stress actually make poorer decisions because of the psychological load that they're carrying. So the first thing is to stabilise the situation and give yourself a bit of breathing space so that you can start to make your own decisions. Yeah, look, but unfortunately a lot of cases too, in a financial abusive situation, it is the case of 
I want to leave, but I can't afford to. Mm. And unfortunately, uh, a lot of people in that situation just don't have the means to move out. But know that there is. There is some great help out there and also means to get you out of that situation in a temporary position to kind of get you on your own two feet. And it's a case of knowing where to get that help. Because for some people, they're, they're, you know, because of the financial control, they have no money themselves to actually remove themselves of that situation. It's, that's very common, which is why we've spent the last five years or so looking at how we can help people in emergency situations if they're struggling with financial abuse. We are working with those agencies so that we can think about how we can help people not only survive the emergency situation, which is getting out of the abusive relationship, but also how do you then rebuild your balance sheet? Yeah. How do you get back on your feet so that you can recover your credit score, potentially make up for lost super that hasn't been paid, etc.? And should also be able to get um, those contact numbers on the Financially Fit Females website. That's right. But that's a good point, like picking yourself up afterwards, the process you spoke about, your credit history. You may not have one, actually. You you know, you may have not opened an account in just your name. And it's important to get all that established. It's important to understand what liability you may be under. If you have a situation where you have left that relationship and starting over again, there are some basic steps that you need to kind of tick off to set yourself up financially. Open a bank account. Find out your credit history if you do have one. Cut off any liability, potential liability. Is the lease under your name? Are you renting? Do you have a credit card? Are you the additional card holder? You really do need to tidy up those situations. A very common situation that I see is in relationships that do turn a bit sour, where one partner has redrawed money out of the home loan and taken off. Understand that position that you're in. You may have separated, you may have worked out that, but if you do have redraw, you've got equity in that property, you are liable that to one person may take that off because in, as far as I know, you might be able to correct me, you can't have joint signatories on a, a redraw facility. No, that's correct. Yeah. So it, you, there are things that you need to seal to protect yourself. And often there's coming hand in hand with a divorce, you know, the prospect of mm. looking after children on, on, on mm. your own. It, it's a very, very financially messy time already without, yes. um, before a lot of uh, women, certainly that I've spoken to, even know the full extent of that abuse. So even know how many um, credit cards were taken out in their name. They're dealing with, you know, lawyers around family court issues. And, and so it's really imperative that information is really easily accessible and very understand, very easily digestible. Yeah. And so every bank will have a number that you can contact if you're you're moving away, you've got some debts, etc. that will have people who can help you with, you know, cutting off the extra card, explaining to you your situation with your mortgage. The sooner you call us, Mm -hmm. the sooner that we can get people to speak to you and help every individual in a particular situation. The longer it goes on, the more difficult it is for us to stem the flow. Thanks so much for joining us, guys. Stay tuned, everybody, for our third, fourth and fifth podcast in the Financially Fit Females series.